0: our heart. We thank you, Lord, that you're not a faraway, distant God, but we can know you in an intimate and a personal way. And we pray, Lord, this morning as we go to your word, we would sense the nearness of our God. Father, I pray that your spirit would speak to every heart that is here. May you be our teacher, Lord. May man decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. 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 Grab a seat. God bless you guys. Great to have you here. It's great to be home. I missed you. You're my family, whether you like it or not. That's how it works in the body of Christ, you know. And uh, we had a great time in Israel. You know, I I try to describe it, it just doesn't work. Because, I mean, imagine, you know, having over 30 Bible studies in the place where they took place. It's It's the Bible in 3D. It's been said that two weeks in Israel is... It's worth one year of Bible college, and I absolutely, absolutely believe that to be true. Maybe in the next few weeks on a Wednesday night, last time we went, we had like a virtual tour. The people seem to be blessed by that, so we may actually do that in a few weeks. If we do, I'll announce it ahead of time, but I want to encourage you, we'll be going back, Lord willing, in 2008. Every two years we'll go, and every person I talked to that went, they went with high expectations, and every one of them, their ex- expectations were exceeded. It's always that way. So I want to encourage you, I think every Christian given an opportunity, I'll make it to Israel at least once, and the funny thing is, if you go once, you go more than once, it's just the way it works. All right, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, we're going to continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. We're going to pick up where we left off, by the way, if you came in the last two weeks, I'm not a guest speaker, I am the pastor here. But praise the Lord for Bill and Joe and, and Mike and all the guys who filled in, I had great reports and... Guys, it's not about any man, it's about the one we serve, Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. He's a faithful God, and He's the one who ministers to our hearts. i want to catch you up, because it's been a few weeks since I've been here. We're going to continue to look at this incredible epistle of joy. You recall 19 times in this letter being written by the Apostle Paul to the believers in Philippi, he uses the word joy. Now, that seems great and, and seems understandable in the sense that they had sent him a gift, and he was responding to these people in a church that he had planted and his dear friends. But when you remember where he wrote it from, it's incredible because he was sitting in prison. Paul was sitting in prison and there was a potential that he was going to lose his life. We know that he wouldn't lose his life this time. It would happen later. But as he's waiting to go before the authorities, he doesn't know if he's going to die or not. And yet he writes this letter filled with great joy. Because you know what guys, our joy is not based on our circumstances, it's based on how we're doing with our Savior, amen? If you know the Lord, it doesn't matter what's going on around you, because God is faithful and He's in control. And Paul's writing this letter filled with joy while sitting in prison. You know what, when you understand who's in control, you don't have to worry about anything. People often ask me when I go to Israel, aren't you worried? What, God's not in control over there? And by the way, you can't threaten me with heaven, amen? I mean, the worst thing that could happen to us is the best thing that could happen to us. And it's having that eternal perspective. That's the perspective that Paul had. And he's writing this letter going, guys, God is so good. Let me encourage you to have joy in your circumstances. That was chapter one. Let me encourage you to have joy in spite of other people. That was chapter two. And now he's talking to them about having joy instead of worry. Not being worried, not being fearful, not being anxious. Why? Because we know who's in control. As we come to chapter 3, I'll just review quickly the first half because we looked at it a few weeks back. And you guys forget after three days, let alone three weeks. So, people say, why are you repetitive? Because you guys forget. Amen? I'll ask you a question. I don't remember, right? So, I used to do it with a youth group and I found out that adults are just the same way. But here's the thing. In the first half of Philippians, we were looking at the things that can rob us of our joy. The things that can keep us away from what God has for us. And what we looked at a few weeks ago in the first half was a self-righteous attitude. You know, I've never met people who are more bitter and bummed out than people that are legalistic. Have you ever met anybody who was legalistic that was happy? Doesn't happen. You know why? Because it's a burden to be legalistic. i got all these rules I must keep. I was talking to a young man on the plane on the way home. Pray for him. His name is David Raphael. And I was talking to him, Jewish, young Jewish man, and he had a whole lot of questions. He didn't know if there was a God or not, and if there was a God, he had to be Jewish. And, and you know, he talked to me about all the rules that had to be kept, and you know, and I just said, bro, how's that working out for you? You know, all the rules you have to keep, it doesn't work. You can never be good enough to get into heaven if you're trying to get there on your own. And one of the things that will rob us of our joy is having a self-righteous or a legalistic attitude of trying to achieve goodness through our good works. We will always fall short. That's why, praise God, we're not saved by our works, but by the grace of God. We need to understand, too, that if we're looking for physical things to be perfect, to be happy, you're never going to be happy. Things are always going to be going on in your life. There's always going to be struggles, whether it be finances or health or or family issues, and it's hard to rejoice in the midst of difficulty if you're looking at things from a temporary point of view. The world looks at things from a right now point of view. We as Christians should look at things from an eternal perspective. You know what, guys? We're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive, and I know where I'm going. How about you? And that's what really matters in life. Nothing else compares to where we're going to spend eternity, you know what, I just walked in the footsteps of my Savior, and that was awesome. But you know what's going to be even greater? I'm going to see Him face to face. I'm going to sit around and have a barbecue with my Savior, amen? And you know, what? we're going to hang out with the Lord. The Bible talks about having feasts in heaven. We're going to be able to see Him face to face. There's going to be no more fear, and no more death, and no more sorrow, and no more taxes, and none of this other stuff, amen? It's all going to go away, but we're going to be in His presence forevermore, Some of us will even have hair in heaven. It's going to be great. But here's the thing. I'm looking so forward to seeing my Savior face to face. And you know what? When I'm bummed out, it's because I forget where I'm going. I get bummed out when I forget where my home really is. My home is not the trailer I live in in Scotts Valley. That's where I live now. But my home is in heaven. And I can't wait to get there. And sadly, the things that will keep us, that will stumble us from having the joy God wants us to have in life, the first thing that we saw in the first half of the chapter is that self-righteous legalism, trying to keep all of the laws to somehow stand before God holy. Well, how did Paul address those guys who did that? He called them three things. He called them dogs, evil workers, and the mutilation. Why? Because they were trying to put a burden on people. Guys, here's the thing, and I told this to this young man flying back from Israel, You know, you got a captive audience for 12 hours, you can talk about a lot. Where are you going, right? Plane was full. No more seats for you, you got to sit here, right? But the truth is that we were talking, and and I was saying, he was saying, well, what about all the other religions? I said, you know what? Every other religion wants to take from you. Every other religion is you attempting somehow to be religious enough, to keep enough rituals to somehow be worthy for Almighty God. Guess what? Only in Christianity, is it, which is the only truth that exists, is it where God wants to give to us, not take anything from us. That's the God we serve. For God so loved the world that He what? He gave His only begotten Son. He doesn't want to take from you. He wants to give to you. He wants to minister to you. He wants to bless you. And then the resulting worship is in response to all that He's done for us. Guys, can we worship Him enough for what He's already done? We can't, let alone what he's going to do. By the way, we're allowed to clap at this. I don't know if you guys were sleeping or what. We're worshiping, and like three people. It's okay to clap, amen? amen? Is he worthy to be worshiped, to be praised, and to be, I know I'm fired up. I just, wa- I was in the tomb two days ago, okay? <laughs> you come out of the tomb, Jesus rose from the dead, you come back fired up, amen? Because he's a risen and living Savior. But I want to encourage this, man. Let's have that passion for him. Let's not hide our light under a bushel. Let's not dial it down to fit in with the world, but then stoke it up that they'll see Jesus in us and be jealous of the relationship that we have and want what we have. Amen? Amen. So we come to the second half of the chapter, and we're going to see two more things that can keep us or stumble us, along with the, the legalism that can be around us, people trying to, you know, add to the cross of Christ. And by the way, I want to say this. There are a lot of rituals out there that people try to do to somehow... Being right standing before God. In the first half of the chapter, there were people telling them, you have to be circumcised to be saved. You have to keep the law of Moses to be saved. But you know what? There are rituals that we often hold on to today, thinking they're necessary for salvation. Or we think that they are the source of salvation. By the way, you, you should be baptized. If you have not been baptized, you should be. But I want you to understand something. Baptism is not necessary for salvation, but it ought to be the fruit of it. And when we're baptized, we're not being baptized, you know, we have it at, at the beach, and whenever we have it, especially during the day when it's not so cold, we have a, a baptism in the afternoon, people will walk up off the beach and want to be baptized. But they, they're just like wanting to safeguard, in case there is a God, you know, dunk me, you know. If, you know, I, I, you know a little water, I was going to go with body surfing anyway, so go ahead. And, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Guys, those rituals don't save us. Those religious things that we do do not save us. But they ought to be a picture of what has happened to us. When we take communion, people think, oh, well, communion, that's that's a way of, of drinking and being saved. No, but it's a picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And as often as we do, we ought to do it in remembrance of him. And we should never take it lightly. It's the cross of Christ in remembrance. And we should come before that table, but that table does not save you. Water baptism does not save you. By the way, you can go to Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz every Sunday for the next 10 years. Oh, he's going to be direct. And you can still go to hell. Because it's not church that saves you. It's Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. Amen? You know what, guys? We can be religious. And we can keep the rules and the rituals. And we can think that somehow we're going to please God. But you know what? Our sin separates us from God. And that's why Jesus had to come. And praise God that he did. I stood at the foot of Calvary just a few days ago and saw where our our Savior was crucified. And then went into the tomb and he's not there anymore. Amen? Amen? We serve a risen and living Savior. You've heard me say it before, I'll say it again. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Joseph Smith is dead. They're all dead, but Jesus Christ is a risen and living Savior and that's who we serve and we ought to be excited about it. Amen? There we go. Praise the Lord. So Paul was the most religious of all the men, and he's letting them know. Hey, man, he told them last week, last time, I'm the most religious guy going, and guess what? I was going straight to hell without Christ. He wore the black robes. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, from the world's perspective, had it all going on. You know what? When we were down at the Wailing Wall, and that's a proper name for it, by the way, but you know, the Wailing Wall, they're down there, and they're praying, and all you see is the Pharisees. They've got all the robes, they've got all the rituals, and it breaks your heart because they're praying with vain repetition to a God they don't know. And it just kills you because, you know what, you need Jesus. You don't need to try to get as close to the wall to the thing that was close to the Holy of Holies 2,000 years ago that God brought down because you were in rebellion. You just need to get right with the Lord. Aren't you glad we don't have to crawl on our knees on glass to Mecca? We don't have to go any, we don't have to do those things. We can meet him right here in this gymnasium on metal chairs, amen? He's in our presence. By the way, Lord willing, next week, new chairs. Now, don't be napping, all right? No napping next week, all right? If anybody naps today, we're going to hold off, all right? So, so the, the title of the message this morning, we're, we, we did get to it, the title of the message this morning is Pressing Toward the Goal, Pressing Toward the Goal, and we're going to see two more things that can rob us of our joy as Christians. The first one is by focusing on the past. Boy, is this something the world loves to make us do or try to get us to do? Or we can struggle with ourselves, isn't it? Yeah, but you don't understand my past. You don't know what, we don't know what I've been through, man. You know, people come in and they want to sit and talk about their past for four hours. Guys, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. You are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. We'll talk about that. The second thing that can rob us of our joy, the stumbling block to the goal that is set before us is not only focusing on the past, but also having a earthly or a worldly focus instead of a heavenly one. So having a a focus on the past, looking back instead of looking ahead, or having a worldly focus instead of a heavenly one, looking around instead of looking up. We ought to be looking up and looking ahead, not looking back and looking around. Amen? That was pretty good, I thought. All right, he's back, verse 12, pressing toward the goal, we're going to begin by looking at the first thing that a lot of people struggle with, it's very prevalent in the church today and that's looking back, it's hanging on to the past, I want to address that in a detailed way because you know what, the goal that's set before us is Christ likeness. Romans 8:28 says this: "And we know all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. When we have a spiritual mind and focus, we can count it all joy in our trials because we we know who's in control. Look at verse 12. This is Paul speaking. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Paul says, not that I've already attained. Not that I've already arrived. Not that I've already accomplished all that God has for me. Guys, can you all be closer to God than you are right now? What's the answer? Absolutely. I don't care if you've been walking with God a day, a month, or 75 years. It always blows me away. Matter of fact, the school that my children go to, the former superintendent stopped going to church because he said he had matured enough. Praise God we prayed and that guy left. Praise the Lord. Because you know what? We can never mature enough. Paul is the the apostle who's laid down his life. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been left for dead, stoned to death. And he says, I haven't attained anything. Not that I've arrived. Not that I've attained. Not that I've acquired it. With that I have so much more. While the fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace, we should never be satisfied with our Christian walk. Not we're not to strive in the flesh, but we should be hungry to know God better. You've heard me say it many times. The Christianity is like a grease pole; you're either sliding, climbing up, or sliding down. There is no stationary walk with God. You're either falling away or you're getting closer. My prayer would be that I'm closer tomorrow than I am today, closer next year than I am this year, closer daily for the rest of my life. But I know that I can turn away from Him very easily. How about you? I get my eyes on the past. I get my eyes on the world. And I want you to remember something. Don't compare your running with other Christians. That's a big mistake. Well, other Christians do it. Well, you know what? Other Christians do just about everything, don't they? You can find somebody calls on the name of Christ that's doing just about anything. Well, other Christians get divorced. Well, other Christians are committing adultery. Well, other Christians are doing drugs. Well, other Christians are smoking pot or drinking or partying. By the way, don't give me the pot line, all right? I don't want to hear it. Well, God grew it, so it must be okay. You know what? Try smoking some mercury. How'd that work out for you? That comes right out of the ground, too. Don't try that. Well, So the thing is, well, we'll look around... We'll look around and we'll point at other Christians and we'll use them as the example. But you know what? The men that God used in the most mighty way were the ones that did not compare themselves with other Christians, but compared themselves with Christ. They didn't say, what are other people doing? How much can I get away with and still be a Christian? How far can I walk to the line? How how far can I tiptoe on the cliff and not fall over? I want to be as far away from that thing as I can be. Amen? Amen? If I was at the Grand Canyon, I wouldn't have my kids tiptoeing on the edge. And the Lord doesn't want us doing that either. You know the people I love in the Bible? People like Daniel. Everybody else is bowing down to what the the, great, the latest command. Pray only unto Darius. And he says, I'm, not, I'm praying to God. That's it. Why? Because my example is God, not man. Samuel stood for God when nobody else would. David, the only one willing to go down and fight the giant when everybody else was shaking in their boots, right? David, a teenager, by the way, I forgot to bring it, but we went to where David fought Goliath and I brought some rocks back. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, this is where he got them, right? It's good stuff, man. And so I love it. But here's the thing. David went down there and fought the enemy when everybody else was quaking. Why? Because he didn't see from a physical perspective, but a spiritual one. He didn't see 11 foot 750 against a teenager. He saw 11 foot 750 against the creator of the universe. Game over. Amen? Amen. He had had an eternal perspective. And that's how God wants us to see things in life. He wants us to see it from a perspective of following Him, not the world, not men. And one of the things that men wants us to do today is to look at our past all the time. Focus on what's behind us when the Lord says to leave it behind. He says there, He laid hold of me. He made his possession. Jesus chose you for the ultimate purpose of conforming you to his image. You're chosen by almighty God. It doesn't get any better than that. I don't care, you know, any other accomplishment you've had in life chosen by God. That's as good as it gets. Heaven bound. My best friend created the universe. How about yours? Right? My name is written Lamb's book of life. I'm going to where gold is asphalt. I'm going to see my Savior face to face. It doesn't get any better. And you know what? We need to have an eternal perspective when we deal with life, not a physical one. Look what he says. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Paul simplifies the whole process of being sanctified and says, This one thing I do. This one thing. The Apostle Paul. Arguably the greatest Christian who ever lived. This one thing I do. What does he do? Look what he says. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Forgetting those things which are behind. Letting those things go. Now we'll talk about this in a minute in case you start to panic and think you should never talk about it. There's a place for it. But guys, we don't meditate on it and we don't live there. You know what? We can lose focus by meditating on what's behind us in two ways. One, we can look back at the accomplishments in life and get complacent. Pastor Chuck talks at the pastor's conference every year. I've been asked to speak at the pastor's conference this year, and they asked me what I wanted to speak on, and I knew immediately. And you know what it is? It's the heart, the passion, and the, and the calling of the pastor. What is he called to do? Well, you know what, if I'm not having this intimacy with God, I'll never be able to minister to anybody, amen? It starts right here, and the key is that the Calvary Chapel movement's been used mightily by God. If you're new here, just know that the Jesus movement of the 60s with all the hippies getting saved, that started because somebody had a burden to teach the word of God to those that nobody else wanted to talk to, and that ought to be the way the gospel's preached, amen? And out of that, thousands of churches have been planted all over the world. But Chuck says this, and you know what? It grips my heart every time he says it. Every great move of God begins well. But a movement can become a memorial overnight as soon as you get away from God's word. As soon as you become complacent and say, look at all we've done. Look at all that we've done. You know what, guys? I want God to do more in the future than he's done in the past. My heart wants to be, I want to see God reach Santa Cruz. I want Santa Cruz to go from being known as a liberal, left-wing town that doesn't believe in God to the Bible Belt of Northern California. And you know what? God can do that, amen? He can. And you know what? Greater is He that is in us. He can do it. Santa Cruz, Holy Cross. God's not done here yet. And it's got to start in our hearts first. But you see, the point here is that we can get lackadaisical by what's happened in the past. You know, God's used me a lot. I'm, I'm done. I've done enough. Look at all that God's done with us. Isn't it great? And keep looking back. But we also can not only become complacent, but we also can get to the point where we become crippled by past sin and failure. And I think that's usually what happens a lot more often. People look back and, but you don't understand what I've done in my past. You don't understand. Guys, there is therefore no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. If anybody's accusing you and condemning you, it's not the Lord. You've heard me say it many times. Next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Amen? You know, the truth is that we're not condemned. We have been set free by the blood of the Lamb. But here's the point that so often we'll look at what's behind us. And the Bible says forget. The word there in Greek means to neglect, to no longer care for, to give over to oblivion. Paul says, this one thing, this primary thing I do, I don't look back anymore. I don't talk about the things in my past, but instead I'm pressing onward in the Lord. And pu- pursuing Christ's likeness is going f- and going forward with the Lord, I must first forget what is behind. If not, there's always going to be a temptation to, to go back. Now, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but that's okay. It won't be the first time. Here's the thing, guys. We don't need worldly counsel we need godly counsel bible says in psalm one to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly so your neighborhood psychologist psychiatrist those who don't know god guess what they don't need you don't need their counsel they need yours because you're saved and going to heaven you're a new creation of christ you're filled with the spirit of living god they're not you know that's not popular in the world today i get more grief for saying that stuff than anything else You know why? Because we've been so ingrained with, I've got to go three sessions a week for the next five years to deal with my baggage. I've got to deal with it. I've got to get my issues out, man. You don't understand. I'm purging the stuff, okay? Whatever. Here's the thing, guys. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. What does that mean? I'm a new creation in Christ. Is that true or not? Now, I want to say this. People have had things horrific things happen in their past. Is there a time to sit down and have biblical counsel? Yes. Is there a time to sit down and talk to a pastor and say, man, I'm struggling. Here's what happened. I'm struggling. You know what? We need prayer. We need to ask God to to touch us and heal us of that stuff. But we don't live there for the rest of our lives. Amen? We don't hang out there. We don't meditate there. We don't use it as an excuse for why we're never going to do anything for God going forward. He can heal us and transform us. If anybody could be bummed out about their past, how about the Apostle Paul? Before he got saved, what was he doing? Killing Christians. He was holding the coats while they stoned Stephen to death. If anybody could look at their past and go, oh, I'm worthless and weak and I can't do anything, it would be Paul. But you know what? This one thing I do, he says, I leave that behind. There's still consequences of it. My heart's still broken because of it. But I'm a new creation in Christ. And now I'm walking with Him. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? And the word all in the original language means all. So we can do all things through Christ. Aren't you glad? You can reach your campus for Christ, high schoolers. You can reach your neighborhood for Christ. You can reach your co-workers for the Lord. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And you know what? If we get so bogged down in what's happened behind us, We'll never be able to be used by God going forward. I want to encourage you again. There's a time, I don't want, I don't want you to think that you shouldn't come in for counsel. If you've got something in your past you're struggling with, come in we'll pray for you. We'll open up the word of God and we will encourage you from it. But I want you to know that God can deliver you completely. You know what I believe too? He can turn that test into a testimony. He can take that difficulty you're going through. I counsel people all the time. I look right across the table at them. I say, what you're going through right now will be a testimony you're ministering to somebody about six months from now if you'll let God use you. You absolutely will. You'll be able to say, I was right where you are. You know, my wife and I lost our first child. And I'll never forget when that happened. I remember thinking, why would God let this happen? You have no idea how many hundreds of people I've been able to minister to say, I understand just how you feel. I understand just what you're going through. I've been exactly where you are. I've got a child in heaven too, just like you do. You know what? God will allow us to go through tests that it might be a testimony to his great grace. Guys, we need to not look at our past and the struggles of the past as things that will weigh us down for a lifetime because the enemy will use that to keep us from being useful for the kingdom of God. Again, the Apostle Paul is such a great example because... He had many great victories for the Lord. People have been saved. Churches have been planted. Miracles have been performed. But he was neither crippled by his past, nor was he complacent because of the great things that he had done. That God had done through him, I should say. He didn't allow either one of those extremes to stop him from saying, God, it's all about you. How do you want to use me today? Guys, we got to wake up every morning saying, Lord, how can you use me? He pressed on into a deeper walk, a greater greater more fruitful life I love the story of Cortez when he landed in Mex- in his conquest of Mexico the first thing he did was he set all 11 ships on fire I like that burn the ships so guess what no going back right you burn all the ships where are you going forward you can't swim back long ways right and the point is often we need to do that in life we need to burn some ships we need to say, Lord, it's in my past. Lord, I lay it at your feet. Lord, help me. Touch me, heal me, and let me move forward. Lord, and also even in those areas where, we, where God has used us mightily, may we not rest in that. He says they're reaching forward. It's making a concerted effort to draw near to God. He says in verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's Running for the prize, the upward call, the heavenly calling, leaving that which is behind to to go forward for the things in Christ. In Christ, in knowing Him, in loving Him, in serving Him, in following Him with reckless abandon. You know, what? we need some more Christians with a little reckless abandon in their lives. We need some more Christians who aren't ashamed of Him and don't dial it down because you're in a restaurant. I encourage you, pray out loud at the restaurant, it's okay. Amen? You know, I, I can't tell you how many waitresses have come up to me and go, I, you know what, no one ever does that, but that really ministered to me. I said, praise the Lord. You know what, start singing worship songs in the grocery store. You never know what's going to happen, amen? You start praying for the guy sitting next to you on the plane, he's got no idea what's in for him, right? I mean, the point is, start praying that God would use you every day. Start looking forward to tomorrow, not being more bummed out about yesterday. You know what, the Bible says he separates your sin as far as the east is from the west. He's forgotten it, why don't you? Amen? Amen? I leave that which is behind. Paul, no doubt, could have been more bummed than anybody. He was the persecutor of the saints till he got knocked off his high donkey, his high horse, while riding on the road to Damascus. I press forward toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. The word there for prize, it's an award that the, the victor receives when he finishes strong, when he finishes first. He says, That's what I want. I want to finish strong for the Lord. Most of you know my dad's 71. He's still in ministry. And every time we talk... He called me last night, late at night, because I'm studying and he's studying. And we hang up the phone the same way every time. Finish strong. What a heritage. 71, preaching the word of God. I love it. And you know what? We need to all finish strong. You're breathing in and out. God's not done with you yet. Amen? God has more he wants to do with every single one of us. Verse 15 and 16. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind... And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree which we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. He's exhorting the believers to be of one mind. You know one of the things I know grieves the heart of God? is Christians fighting with each other. People are dying and going to hell all around us. Why are we bickering with each other about stuff that's secondary? That it breaks the heart of God. He says, guys, be of one mind. Guys, walk with one another. Don't be ashamed. You know what? And be of one accord, focused on knowing God and making him known. God bless those of you who didn't wind your clocks back that just walked in. I'm glad you're here. We won't point you out. You, it's okay, though. I'm glad you're here. Hey, it's happened to all of us, hasn't it? I'm just glad you showed up and didn't wimp out and walk home when you saw the cars were already here. So, all right. Now, as born-again, spirit-filled children of God, we have the same Father, the same goal, the same future. Shouldn't we love one another? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Guys, I don't care what church people go to as long as it's one where the Word of God's being taught. The point is, I don't care what ship they get into as long as they get to shore. You'll never hear me tell someone to go to another church to come to our church. I, You know, now if they're going to a Mormon church, I'll tell them to come to our church. If they're going somewhere, the word of God's not being taught, I will absolutely talk to them. But if they're going somewhere saying, I'm being fed and I'm growing, I'll say, praise God, keep going there. Because it's not about building Calvary Chapel, but it's about building the kingdom of God. And he says, you know, we're all, we ought to be like-minded. We ought to be of one accord moving in the same direction because we have the same God, the same Savior. Guys, we're not in a race against each other. We have a common goal. When somebody falls, it's not an opportunity for you to pass them, but for you to pick them up. Amen? Somebody falls is not, ooh, I can get ahead of him now. <laughs> Who fell? Ooh, I wonder if his church is available. Uh, you know, we've got more people than us, right? I mean, no, 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 no. When somebody falls, you don't pass them up, you pick them up. Amen? That's the body of Christ. We're all moving together in the same direction. We ought to be burdened for everyone around us. As we continue to grow in spiritual maturity, as we press toward the goal, the trials and temptations are going to be opportunities for growth. Spiritual maturity means you don't quit or look back, but you keep moving forward in Christ. And that's what he's saying. What we've attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. It says in Proverbs, For if a just man falls seven times and rise up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. You know what, guys? However many times you fall, it's just getting up one more time that matters. Every time you blow it, every time you struggle. How many of you guys sinned this week? Raise your hand. If your hand's not up, you're lying and you're a sinner right now. (laughs) So the point is, we're all sinners saved by grace. But pray, aren't you glad that He's a forgiving God? And spiritual maturity is seen in the amount of time from when we sin to when we repent. The closer we get to God, the shorter that time gets goes from being weeks to days to hours to minutes to seconds amen i'm convicted sometimes but it's the words here Uh, right and the holy spirit's already going don't right people thought you guys think i don't have hair back here because it (laughs) holy spirit head slap all right but the point is that as we're growing in the lord the lord loves us enough that those who lord loves he disciplines and because He loves us, He wants to draw us into right fellowship. So the first thing that we saw that can stumble us is looking to the past. Guys, forgiven in the past. Healed in the past. New creations today. Moving forward with Christ. Oh, it's just, that's just too easy, Pastor Dave. That's just way too easy. You're just giving me the simple, easy answer. That's what the Bible says. Amen? Amen. We want to make it more difficult because the world feeds us the... It's too, oh, that's too easy. You can't just be forgiven. You've got to lay on the ground and get into the fetal state and suck on your thumb and have past dream lives and stop it. You know what you need to do? We need to repent. Amen? We just need to come before God and say, forgive me, and he will. Amen? Aren't you glad? If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and crawl on glass to Mecca, that's not what it says. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father, amen? Now, we have people that are hurting in our church right here from things that happened in the past, and we're not to ridicule them for that, we're to put our arms around them and love on them and encourage them and let them know that God can heal them from whatever it is. No matter what it is in your past, God can heal you and bring you forward. The second thing, the last half, by having a worldly focus. The second thing that can keep us from pressing toward the goal, keep us from all that God has for us, having a worldly focus instead of a heavenly one. Look at verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Man, this is brave. Paul says, follow my example. I don't know if I could do that. Later he would say, well actually earlier he would say in 1 Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'd feel a little more comfortable with that one. You know, imitate me as long as I'm imitating Christ. But Paul is walking with God to the point where he can say, follow me. He's saying, don't follow the world, follow my example. You know what guys, gals, parents, your children are following you whether you want them to or not they're watching your example, they're watching how you live, and Christianity is much more caught than taught. They watch how you do things, they don't care what you say, they want to see how you live. And so we are leading by example, and our children are watching us, and he says, follow me, you have us, speaking of the, the mature believers, you have us for a pattern. Paul is exhorting the Philippian believers to follow godly examples like himself and Timothy and Epaphroditus. And you know what? The word there for pattern is to strike an exact image on metal. One of my favorite statements is be the moon. What does the moon do? Reflects the sun, right? The S-U-N. We're to be the moon, reflect the S-O-N. Amen? People should see the reflection of the sun on our lives touching them. And he's saying, follow my example. My prayer would be that we could live in such a way that we could say to others, follow our example. We can only be an example to others as Christ's image is being stamped on us and we're being a reflection of him. Look at verse 18. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul is broken over the lives of some of both those who were ultra religious, religious and those who were ultra worldly. You know, it's interesting. We were at the, I guess, I don't remember what day it was, probably Thursday of this week, three days ago. We're standing on the steps outside of the, what was the temple entrance in those days, going up to the Temple Mount. And it was there that Jesus delivered his Matthew 23. Message. His last public address, what is he doing at? He says, Woe, seven times or eight times. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Who's he talking to? The most religious people of the day. The guys with the black robes. The guys who look from the world's perspective to be the most religious men around. And he said, You're hypocrites. Why? Because outwardly you look really religious, but inwardly you're filled with dead men's bones. Guys, it's not who we have men believing that we are, but who God knows that we are that matters. Amen. You can fool man, but you can't fool God. And Paul's heart is broken because there are those who portray themselves to be Christians who are living a worldly life. And it says there, they are enemies of God. The Lord said in that text, he called them brood of vipers, white snakes, white snakes. Why did some, Now, how do you think the Pharisees were feeling about this message? They thought they were the most righteous guys on the planet. We're the ones that pray in the center square, and everybody thinks we're holy. We're the ones that tell other people what they should do on the Sabbath. We give out the rules. And the Lord says, snakes, dead men. That's what he says. He says in that text, you go out and make a, get a proselyte, a follower, and you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are whoa you know what jesus was direct people are surprised by that but you know what it grips his heart when he sees people leading people away from the truth you know what if somebody was taking my kids and leading them off a cliff we'd be having some harsh words we have some forearm shivers too right drop them like a bag of hammers someone tries to lead your kids away This is how the Lord felt about the Pharisees. They were trying to lead his children away from the truth into bondage and legalism. And he said, you guys are dead men. When we were there, you look up on the hill and there's all these whited sepulchers. I mean, tens of thousands of them on the hill, many of which were there in Jesus' day. And he literally said, you guys are like tombs. You look good on the outside. Inside, you're filled with death. He's saying here, Paul's saying, you know what? It grips my heart because there are those who pretended who I've told you often, now tell you even weak and they are enemies of Christ. They pretend to walk with God, but they're really enemies of the Lord. Guys, there's only one way you can be with, one of two ways you can be with the Lord. You're either for Him or you're against Him. That's it. Well, I'm kind of for Him. No, you're not. I'm kind of with Him. I'm kind of saved. I've had people say, are you saved? Kind of. <laughs> it's like being kind of pregnant. I mean, you either are or you aren't, right? I mean, the point is, you're either born again or you're not. You're either a new creation in Christ or you're not. You've even given your life to Jesus Christ or you haven't. And don't give me a list. Don't give God a list. You're not going to stand before God on Judgment Day and say, well, I, I, uh, I was down on the beach one day pounding some beers with my friends and they were having a baptism, so I went forward at that. And then I saw a pastor on TV one time. I can't remember what he said, but I remember that. And a few times I went down to the gymnasium and set on metal. That's got to count for some points. Set on some metal chairs. and And we often try to you know, somehow prove that we're Christians by things we've done. It's not about what we've done. It's about what he did. It's about what he did. What did he say? Last three words. It is finished. finished. The talistai. It is finished. He didn't say there's a good start. He didn't say that's step number one of 12. He said it's finished. And so praise God, we're new creations in Christ. And he's saying, look, many walk. But let me tell you right now, they're enemies of Christ. And look what he says about them. How do you know who they are? Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their belly. Whose glory is their shame. Who set their mind on what? Earth. Earthly things. The Bible says in Colossians 3, 2, one of my favorite verses. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. And we're bombarded with worldly things all day, every day, aren't we? And it's so easy to just do it. I used to tell the youth group all the time that... If I, the next four years, of all I can do is get you from doing this to get you to do this, That's all, if I can just get you to do that, quit worrying about your friends at school, quit worrying about what everybody else thinks, and just get right with him, and the rest of it will take care of itself, amen? And the point here, he's making as many walk, but he says there, their end is destruction. The Bible never teaches hell. The Bible teaches more about hell than it does about heaven. You know, if you go to a church growth seminar, they'll tell you, don't talk about sin and don't talk about hell. You know who's running those church seminars, as far as I'm concerned? Satan. Satan doesn't want anybody to talk about sin or hell, because that's where he's headed. And he wants as many people to go there with him as possible, right? Here's the truth. As your pastor, I must tell you about it, because I don't want you to end up there. You need to know that it's real. That hell is a real place. God didn't create it for man, he created it for the devil, but whoever chooses to follow him. Here's the thing, you guys. Whether it be the Judaizers, the real religious people, or the Gnostics, or the, the Gentiles who are just wallowing in their sin, the destination's the same if you don't have Jesus. Oh, being a good man's got to count for something. Being a good man's got to count for something. Certainly, Osama bin Laden's got more coming to him than my next door neighbor who bakes cookies and hands them out down the street. Guys, how many sins does it take to be a sinner? One. One. And you know what? If God allowed one sin in heaven, he'd have earth part two. He can't do that and he won't. So sin keeps us out of heaven. But that's why Jesus came. He took all of our sin upon himself. He suffered and died. And every person that goes to hell will only go because they reject the cross of Christ. They say, I can do it on my own. Lord, I don't need your help. He's saying, you know what, his heart is broken because there are those whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. You know who I thought of when I, I, whose God is their belly? I thought of Esau. Remember Esau coming in? Hey, uh, Isaac, man, make me some soup, I'll give you my birthright. I'll let you be like firstborn and you can have double of everything and you can have my birthright and favor with God and favor with, for a bowl of soup. Who's, who is his God? His belly. He's more worried about feeding his flesh than standing right before God. He says glory is their shame. The very things that they glory in and boast in on earth will the things that they stand in shame before Almighty God. The Bible tells us that our good works are as filthy rags apart from the cross of Christ. The world today is often proud of the very things that ought to be ashamed of. I'm amazed at some of the things the world is proud of today guy's walking around boasting with how many women they slept with. I had a guy tell me that. I slept with over 500 women. I'm like, don't stand too close to me. (laughs) (laughs) You can be forgiven, amen, but we need not be boasting in our sin, amen. People walking around proud of the very thing that when they stand before Almighty God, they're going to be on their faces wishing they had never done it. But we walk around boastful, walk around proud, when we ought to be broken over our sin. Earthly things, that worldly focus, the Judaizers, it was rituals and sacrifices and ceremonies. And for the Gentiles, the unbelieving Gentiles, it was the things of the world. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know how you can tell where your treasure is? Where do you spend most of your time? Where do you spend most of your time? What's the passion of your day? I'd love to spend some time with the Lord. I just don't have five minutes for Him in the morning. Whoa. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I got 14 hours for my boss because I'm trying to make some extra money because I just bought the boat for the vacation house and the thing. And, you know, Pastor Dave, I'd love to come to church on Sundays, but, you know, sometimes i got to work overtime to pay for more of my stuff. Guys, it's all dirt, okay? We're shoveling piles of dirt that are not going to outlast this life. My pile of dirt's bigger than yours i got gold dirt man i you know what i got some sweet dirt you know and and you know what we're fighting over deck chairs on the titanic right the ship's going down and we're fighting over who's got the best seat i mean get on the helicopter get in the lifeboat amen and too often we're so worldly focused we're missing out on the eternal stuff and paul's telling them your god is your belly they set their mind on earthly things Last two verses. We're almost done here. Look what it says. For our citizenship is where? Yeah. In heaven. You know, I've been, I want to do that sometime. I want to just put on my ad. You know, people ask for your address. <laughs> heaven. And You want my permanent address? Heaven. Amen. Where I live now is my temporary address. Amen? Where I'm going, that's my permanent. I love when it says permanent address. That's when I'm like, uh, heaven. Seven 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 Heaven Way, you know, (laughs) Pearly Gate Drive, Heaven. That's where we're going, Amen. Amen. Heaven is our home. We're aliens here, and we ought to—it ought to hold a lot less importance to us. And he says there, I love this. For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we so eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question, and don't lie. Are you eagerly waiting? I know people say to me, I don't want him to come back yet because I want to have children. I don't want him to come back yet because I want to get a bigger house first. I don't want him to come back yet because, you know, I want to bench 300, whatever. I don't want him to come back yet. I got to go grow my hair out first, whatever. I got all these things I want to do. I got goals in life. Guys, if we really understood what heaven was about, we'd say, come now. Come now. Get me off of this dung heap. I'm ready help take me home lord amen but too often we're so focused on the things around us that we try to make heaven here you've heard me use the analogy if you were going camping for a weekend i would hope you wouldn't spend your life savings on your tent that would be stupid at the end of the weekend you'd you know leave right but you know what we do we spend all of our time and effort on this tent and compared to eternity it's not even a weekend we got this thing amen We're so focused on the stuff that is perishing instead of focusing on that which is eternal. Guys, the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Everything else, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last, nothing else is going to matter. And he's saying to them, our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait. The word there in Greek is patiently with great expectation. Now this doesn't mean that we should sell everything and go sit up on a mountain and chant till he comes back. Home, come back now. No, that's not what God wants. God wants to come back and find us busy about His work. Amen? Amen. When He comes back, may we be busy. But you know what? May we be living every day like He's coming back tomorrow. All I'm going to share with my friend in about a year. I got to get on more Bible studies and quit smoking and drinking and yelling and you know what I mean. I got to lose some weight and you know. <laughs> I gotta be perfect. Guys, that's like saying, I gotta get cleaned up before I get in the tub. Guys, we need to come to the Lord right right where we are, amen? And let him cleanse us, and then Lord, use me right now. God used the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So that means if God's using you, what are you? That's me. Amen. But God's using me in spite of me, not because of me, because of him. And he's saying, look, we ought to have an earnest hope, eagerly waiting for the Savior, because guess what, guys? He's not in the tomb, and he's coming back. And I can't wait. We said a Megiddo, Armageddon, Armageddon, looked out, and we know where the final battle is going to take place. By the way, it's at the foot of Mount Carmel, which I think is awesome, because Mount Carmel is where the prophets of Baal cried out to their God, and... Elijah waited and then cried out to the true and living God and fire came down. Guess what? At the foot of that hill, the same thing is going to happen. They're going to be coming up toward the true and living God and we're coming behind Him. You know, the first time He came to Jerusalem, He came on a donkey. This time He's coming on a white horse. And we're right behind Him. Aren't you glad? I'm with Him. I'm with Him. I'm on God's side. Team God, right? That's who I want to be on. Team God. Team God. And we're coming back with Him and it's going to be great and we ought to eagerly be waiting for Him. Man, I tell you, one of the things that when I pray and when I worship in, alone and sometimes I sit in my office late at night and just sing atop my lungs because no one's there and I won't hurt anybody. But you know what? The point is that during those times, what's totally grasped me is I'm going to be before God soon. Sooner than I think. This life is but a bit of vapor. You know what it does to me? It gives me a greater urgency to do more now. Lord, I don't get get another chance at this. I don't get another chance to share with my neighbor. It could be too late. I had a friend, one more verse. I had a friend that I was sharing with and he finally had, when I was working in Seattle, he had finally said, okay, Dave, I'll sit down and talk with you tomorrow at lunch and I'll let you share with me. I talked to him, talked to him, built a relationship with him. Our lunch got postponed. Something happened. The next day he was killed in a car accident. And I'll tell you what, when I feel the Holy Spirit tell me to witness to somebody, I think of Curtis. I think, Lord, today is a day of salvation. This is the opportunity. Don't wait for tomorrow. Eagerly be waiting for the Lord and be busy about His work when He gets here. Last verse. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body. Isn't that good? Amen. I'm getting rid of this thing. Like I said, hair in heaven. I'm just telling you. Now here's the thing. Here's the thing we see a glimpse of what our heavenly body is going to be like when we see Jesus' body after the resurrection. Now, it's just a total side note, but this is kind of some cool stuff. Here's the thing. After he resurrects from the dead, he, like, walks through walls. It's in the Bible. He just shows up. Now, it says we're going to have the same glorious body that he has, right? Man of transfiguration, Paul got a glim- or, uh, Peter, James, and John got a glimpse, right? He showed him his glorified body. Whoa. And Elijah and Moses had them too, right? Guess what? We're going to get rid of these things and get glorified bodies. We won't have to watch our our calorie intake or do sit-ups or anything. We're going to have glorified bodies in heaven. Amen? And you know what? That's going to be really cool. But you know what's going to be the coolest thing about these glorified bodies? They're going to allow us to come into the presence of Almighty God. If we came in these bodies, what would happen? it would be dead. But in glorified bodies, we're going to be able to walk and stand in front of our Savior and worship Him forevermore. We're going to be able to see Him face to face. You know what? I'm hugging my Savior one day and I can't wait. You know what's great though? He's giving me the Holy Spirit now. And I already feel His His closeness and that intimacy, but it's going to be even greater when I let go of this temporal body and put on a glorified one. And He's saying here, will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. 1 John says, Behold now, we are, all, we are children of God, and it, and it has not appeared as yet that we shall, what we shall be. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him just as He is. We have to be like Him to see Him as He is. You know what I loved about it? When Jesus showed up, they all recognized him. Did you notice that? They all knew it was him. And I believe the Bible you know, the Bible clearly tells us we get to heaven, we're going to recognize each other. We're going to know as we are known. We're going to have glorified bodies, but we're going to still know who each other are. You know what I love about that? You know what that means? Start getting along now. Person next to you, billions of years you're hanging out, so you might as well just start getting along now. Amen? Start loving on each other today. According to his great power, the way that he spoke the stars into the sky is the way he's going to transform us. The same power that created all things is going to transform us. And again, he's going to move, he moved through space, he moved through time. You know what I love too? After Jesus came back, he still ate. I know that'll encourage some of you. There's going to be feasts in heaven. No calories, no fat, and feasts. Man, that's good. some of you, that's like, that's heaven right there. There it is. untainted by sin so in closing pursuing toward the goal two stumbling blocks that can keep us from what god has set before us two things that can keep us keep us from experiencing all that god has for us number one by focusing on the past instead of pressing toward the calling that we have in christ focusing on our past failures or being complacent because of our past successes guys what's in the past praise god for it but let's move on with him amen Let's move on. Lord, I want you to do more than you've ever done in my life. And then the second thing, by having a worldly focus and not a heavenly one. By being focused on our jobs and our God, should we do our job as unto the Lord? What's the answer? Yeah. Absolutely. You should be the best worker in the building. People should say, I want 10 more people just like her, just like him. Your your boss should say, What's different about you? Jesus. Amen? They shouldn't say, Man, that guy's a loafer and a dog and a you know. No way. We should be the best workers in the building. People should see Jesus in us in the way that we work, in the way that we live. But at the same time, we need to have a heavenly focus. I've heard it said that they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I find the opposite to be true. We're so worldly minded, we're no heavenly good. We're so focused on stuff. We're so passionate about things. We spend all our time on our career and what we're going to do next. Instead of saying, Lord, what do you want to do with my life? Let my life count for eternity. That's what really matters. Because again, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. So guys, instead of looking back, let's look ahead. Instead of looking around, let's look up. And let's be ready when our Savior comes back. And be excited to know that we're going to spend eternity in His presence. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, we praise You, we worship You. We cannot wait to see You face to face. You are such a great and an awesome God. I pray, Lord, we would be pressing toward the goal of the upward call in Christ Jesus. That may not be the one thing that we do. Maybe every decision we make be based on the upward call you have in our life. May every every place we go, everything that we do, everything that we say, Lord, be done in light of where we're headed and who we are in you. Father, I do pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you. Lord, even now, may you soften their hearts and open their eyes to who you are. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that even now, that today would be the day of salvation. They would not wait for tomorrow or next week or next year. That they can have the, the joy of knowing you right now. They can have the promise of heaven right now. had not planned on doing this, but if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us we're all sinners separated from God. But we can have a relationship with God by simply confessing our sin and our need for a Savior. I'm not asking you to join Calvary Chapel. I'm giving you an opportunity to become a new creation in Christ, to be filled with the spirit of the living God, to have the promise of heaven. If it's your desire, all you have to do, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. You want to know for sure you're going to heaven? It's a simple prayer. If that's your heart and your desire, you know you're a sinner, you want to be forgiven, Have the promise of heaven. If that's your desire, every head bowed. If you're a Christian, pray for the people here that aren't. If that's your desire, I just want you to raise your hand. I want to pray a simple prayer with you. God bless 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 you. Anybody else? God bless you in the back. Today's the day of salvation. You know what's awesome? The Bible says when one sinner repents, all the angels in heaven rejoice. There's going to be a party up in heaven in a minute, amen? Is there anybody else? The Lord loves you. He'd rather die than live without you. No matter what we have to do this afternoon, nothing's more important than this right now. Anybody else? If you raise your hand, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. You can pray it out loud. Just pray it out loud. Don't be ashamed. The Bible says you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. Here's the prayer. Just say, dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask You to forgive me for my sin. To make me a new creation in Christ. To fill me with Your Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus Christ is God. That He died on the cross for my sin. That He rose from the dead. And that He's coming back. Help me to walk with You. Fill me with Your Spirit. I believe that I've been saved, that I'm your son or daughter. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Amen. You know what's awesome? All the angels in heaven are having a party right now too. And if you prayed that prayer today for the first time, I don't want you to leave here without talking to one of the pastors. The pastors are going to be up here in front. I want them to be able to pray with you. We want to to welcome you into the family of God, whether you go to church here or somewhere else. Get plugged in, make sure you have a Bible, and know that you're going to heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.